Welcome back, folks. Episode, checking my folder, five of season two of the GPP, giving you all the knowledge and practical takeaways to improve your own general physical preparedness. Been putting the G in your PP since 2020. That's three years, baby. Did we take a long break between season one and season two? Yup. Did we come back even better? Yup. Will this be our final season? Not a chance. All right. As always, let's jump in with some silly stuff that I saw to start the week out right. As of late, we've been starting with memes. Not this week. This week, we do not start with memes. Jake tells me I spend too much time on the memes. I disagree. Feel free to juice the algo. Comment below. Let Jake know that the memes are what make the show great, and they need to make a comeback. If you're thinking, Ryan, you're wearing the same shirt from episode two or episode three, maybe. Maybe I am. Maybe I am. And maybe you shouldn't care. Let's get into, and I'm going to keep wearing this shirt, and we're going to tag Crash, and we're going to tra- tag JR until he invites me on the Savon podcast. Because if he thinks that Savon is unhinged and schizo, he met his match. If there's high-functioning autism schizo, it's this guy right here. JR, hit my line. All right, let's jump in with some silly stuff for the week. Uh, Jake, this one is 99.55. So 99.55 in the folder. So this one popped up on my Explore page. 161,000 likes at the time of finding it. Um, probably a lot more since then. And the the title, the the what they're leading with is obviously very clickbaity, right? Trying to get some clicks here. Hey, and it worked because it got me to click. So it essentially says, you know, study says eating pasta does not lead to weight gain. If you are someone who's been a watcher of the show for a while, chances are you're pretty in the know when it comes to training and nutrition. So this is going to be kind of a no-duh moment for you. Like, obviously, pasta doesn't lead to weight gain in isolation. Pasta, when over-consumed, and usually topped with sauces, cheeses, meats that are very high in fat, are hyper-palatable very, very tasty, prone to be overeaten, it's the overeating that drives that weight gain. But just taking a step back and looking at this from a more like overview, like holistic view of like what went into, like what led up to this headline right here. So what led up to this headline? If you don't, if you never worked in research or you've never interned in research, number one intern of all time, Strength coach intern, number one. Research intern, I'm your dog. Data entry intern, that's the guy right here. Intern all-star, like two or three years running. But if you don't, if you're not super aware of how research is conducted, essentially there's a hypothesis. The hypothesis here was that ingestion or eating of pasta leads to weight gain. I mean, you could kind of just look at like, countries and cultures that eat the most pasta like take italians like true i live in italy 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 i live in italy this is my culture we eat pasta born here raised here fifth generation these people are not overweight these people are not overweight 
and they eat probably more pasta. They're like literally known for like people say Italians. They're like, oh, pasta. Well, they're more than pasta. But it's like what you think of when you think of Italians is pasta and eating a lot of it. And they're not incredibly overweight. But the hypothesis here was when looking at, this is probably a study that was done in America, jo Joanne, Slavin, Lisa, Sanders. I, I would need to look at where the study was conducted. My guess is that it was America. Um, but Americans who eat a lot of pasta probably are overweight. You throw a rock in America and you're probably going to hit someone that's overweight. So not a tremendously profound hypothesis there, but basically saying, hey, listen, let's look at the kind of groups of individuals who eat the most pasta um, and see kind of what those weight gain numbers look like. So essentially what we found here, what they found was that the consumption of pasta on its own does not cause weight gain. Refined carbohydrate, insulin, blood sugar, all of that stuff obviously elevated when you consume pasta but if you're not over consuming obviously you're not going to gain weight for individuals who are super super active i think pasta is one of the better ways to get in a lot of carbohydrates which is what these individuals need so the negative wrap like the negative wrap was around bread for a while bread bread bad cut that out you'll lose you'll lose weight probably because most people are over consuming bread products and that's driving up their calories duh same thing goes with pasta. People say, oh, you know, I want to go on a fat loss diet. I need to cut out pasta. It's like they cut out pasta. It removes a thousand calories from their daily diet. They lose weight. They tell all their friends, yeah, I stopped eating pasta, lost weight. So that's kind of how these headlines are born. It sucks, but you know, it is what it is. But up next is the best part of this. I screenshotted this because I was like, I want to talk about this on a podcast. And then I scrolled down because I was like, I wonder what people are saying in the comments. Like, I feel like there's probably a lot of people in the comments that are like, no shit. Like, duh, obviously pasta doesn't make you fat. What I found in the comments was better than I ever could have imagined. Jake, this is 99.56 SMK with the top comment right here. And it says, why does pasta always have to pay so much for car insurance? You've got me intrigued at the first line here. Because his car is all, always ends up all denty. You know, I think that there is a prevailing sentiment, prevailing sentiment around the world, or at least kind of in like my generations of like culture of what people say, where people are very like doomer, fatalistic, myopic, not super, not super happy with like people and the way that, you know, the world is going, but it's like, how can you have that? How can you have that view, that worldview when things like this exist? How can you feel like the world, like everyone's intellect is just dropping off a cliff when you have folks like SMK coming in with arguably, I mean, it's the end of the year. So this, like, it's going to take a lot to beat this. This might be the dad joke of the year. Why does pasta always pay so much for car insurance? Because his car always ends up all denty. Whew, that is a heater and a half. So you thought the memes were out, but I snuck one in there for you. Take that, Jake.
All right, up next is Image 9961. I wanted to talk about this because it's near and dear to my heart. And as Gifted's compete, especially the TSF compete team continues to grow, we're definitely bringing on more competitive CrossFitters than we ever had before. So it's a good idea to start talking about CrossFit in the podcast. The big change that came out in the last couple of weeks was a restructuring of the CrossFit Open. So for those who aren't in the CrossFit space, the CrossFit Open is traditionally the large widespread event, competitive event that everyone does online every single year. You know, somewhere around, I think enrollment has been as high as like close to half a million. I don't think it ever hit, hit the half million mark, but it's like 300, 400,000 people every single year do the CrossFit Open. You pay 10 bucks, you do the three workouts, you submit your scores, you see where you rank. And that takes place usually end of February into the middle of March. So you have one workout release per week. So workout gets released. You have the whole week to do it or retry it and submit your score. And then another workout comes out and then another one. So you get three. It used to be four or five, but they've actually narrowed it down to three in the past couple of years. So now in the past, I think it's been three years now, maybe four years. It's in the past three or four years. It's gone open, top 10% of scores in the open go to quarterfinals. So 400,000-ish, 300 to 400,000-ish people pay $10 to partake in the open. That money goes directly to CrossFit HQ. The top 10% of those people, so, so that ends up being 30,000, 40,000 people total, pay $50 to CrossFit to do the quarterfinals. Now, quarterfinals is more workouts, shorter time frame. You've basically got, it looks like, you know, barbell spin with this graphic here. Very helpful. Whoever's doing his graphic design is, is really doing a good job because everything is super clean, super easy to read. Really like the content over there. So the quarterfinals is five days this year. It's going to, or next year, it's going to be the 17th to the 22nd. So you have that time frame to do however many workouts get released. It's usually like four or five, maybe up to six workouts that get released. You have that time frame to do and redo them and then submit your scores. Now, in the past, it's been last year, it was regional. So regional, it was like North American, East, West. That's what we care about because we're in North America. Where we're recording this 60 and 60, top 60, top 60. You guys go to semifinals, which is the step before the games. Now, they've whittled it down next year, and we'll talk about whittling it down versus increasing it. Uh, they whittled it down for next year. Top 40 men and women from each region are going to go to semifinals. So it's no longer 60. That's a 33% reduction in the amount of people who are going to go from the quarters to the semis. So far more competitive going from that quarterfinal to semifinal range. But what they've done to kind of in an opposite vein of that is that they are now opening quarterfinals up to the top 25%. So initial 15% um, of the people who do the open will now qualify to compete at quarterfinals. Hmm, a company that historically struggles to make money, CrossFit, struggles with how they spend that money, CrossFit, struggles with having enough money to reinvest back into the affiliates, the people who actually feed into CrossFit HQ as a whole and continue to proliferate the name, the sport, the methodology, all of that. I wonder why they're opening this up to 15% more people. It's very, very, very obviously. And the top comment here is, am I the only one who thinks the 25% to, to quarterfinals is a good thing? Yes, you are, because it's actually a very bad thing, especially for those like myself and the other members of TSF Compete who want to get a predictable 
experience every single year so that they can measure their improvement. When it was a 10% advancing to the semifinals from the Open, you knew the programming was going to take a really big leap. And even the people who qualified in like the 92nd, 91st, 90th percentile, so they just kind of squeaked into quarterfinals, these are people who are getting absolutely blasted by these quarterfinal workouts, like just getting destroyed by them. Time capped, literally unable to move the barbells, unable to do certain skills, like just getting absolutely walled by some of these workouts. Example, last year, they had the clean and jerk box jump over workout that was, you know, relatively easy burpee box jump overs and a 275 barbell for men. A lot of men posted a score of five. They did their first five box jump overs and then they didn't even touch the bar or they didn't even try or they spent the rest of their time trying to get a single rep. What's going to happen next year is that now that they're allowing a greater amount of people to advance to the semifinals is that you're not going to see that jump in programming anymore. It's going to look a lot like open programming, which is going to be bodyweight movements, endurance, pure capacity. So for folks who have spent a good amount of time training for those quarterfinal and beyond workouts, what they're going to find is that they may not excel to the level that they thought they would in those quarterfinals workouts because now we're going to see lighter barbells, lower volumes, lower skill, and they're going to save all that heavy, high skill, really advanced stuff for semifinals, which I think sucks for someone like myself and the other members of TSF Compete who have been training basically all year for those quarterfinal workouts. Anyone who competes at the quarterfinal semifinal level knows that the open is not where your money is made. We're really training for the quarterfinals. We're training at those volumes. We're training those skills. We're training at those intensities, heavy barbells, all that good stuff. And now I think my speculation is we're going to have that taken away from us at the quarterfinal level and only see it at semifinals. I don't think this is a good way to push the competitive side forward because the, in the interest of a money grab, you're watering down what that second level of competition is going to be. What I'm hoping for is that most people who do the open and qualify 80th percentile, 75th percentile, even like 85th percentile, so they're in that top... 15 to 20%. My hope is that they don't get all excited that they just skip quarterfinals altogether. I would like to see less people make it to quarterfinals, make these things restricted, make these things hard to get, make these things hard to attain. So that way, when you get to it, you feel really good about yourself. I have a number of people that I currently work with who made it to quarterfinals for the first time last year, and it was the biggest achievement of their competitive CrossFit career. It was the first time they were able to make quarterfinals. It held a certain weight to it. Now that has been removed in the interest of, in my opinion, a money grab. So I think this is really, really, really shitty. I think this sucks, um, and I mostly selfishly think it sucks because now the programming at the quarterfinals level is not going to cater to selfish, my strengths, what I do best. Open workouts, your boy sucks at them. Not very good. I'll do better this year, but I'm historically not great at them. Quarterfinals and semifinals workouts are where I actually do a little bit better. So I'm bummed uh, for selfish reasons, but you have to adapt to what you're working with, and that is what we will do. 
All right, let's get into some of our highlights for the week. Again, another busy week around Gifted HQ. Everyone has been working hard. The first thing I want to highlight here is Carolyn's post, part one and part two. I don't want to belabor this or draw this out. I instead want Jake to just link the post below and link Carolyn's Instagram below so you guys can go watch the reel yourself. This is probably one of the most easy, easily accessible, understandable, digestible interpretations, not interpretations, um, explanations of heart rate zone training. So with heart rate zone training, everyone has got their meat. They are absolutely torqued, bricked up over zone two training. They're saying insane stuff about zone two training, like stuff that doesn't make any sense about it because they don't really understand truly what it is. Part one, part two here, Carolyn will not only teach you what zone two training actually is, what it should look like, and why you really shouldn't be super obsessed with any given zone, especially if you are a mixed modal, mixed intensity athlete. If you are an athlete who needs to have multiple gears for your sport, which most sports do, especially in the endurance space, then you need to watch this video so you can understand, yes, zone two has its benefits, but zone three and zone four are feeling awfully left out these days, and those are zones or those are areas where you should train as well. So post part number one and part number two, Instagram, get your shit together. Give Carolyn more than 90 seconds on her reels. Give all reels more than 90 seconds. What the fuck are we even doing? You used to be able to post videos on Instagram that were like 30 minutes long. Hello? Can we go back to that? A brother doesn't need 30 minutes, but Jesus, I'm trying to record informational reels. And you guys are capping me at 90 seconds. I got to speed up my voice. Then I got to send Jake and be like, take the octaves down. And then it still sounds weird. I sound like a baritone mouse. It's not good. It's not good. I don't like it. I don't like it. Instagram, I don't want to sound like a chipmunk anymore. Please fix it. Just give me two minutes. 120 seconds. That's all I need. I can work with that. I can work with 120. And I think Carolyn could too. All right, you guys, let's get into heart rate training. I promised this video a couple days ago, so let's do it. So there's a lot of benefits to heart rate training. Uh, this is definitely going to be part one of a two-part series, so bear with me here. Um, number one, your heart's going to be healthier in all the gears you train in. Low intensity, moderate intensity, high intensity. A lot of people are really good at one gear and not so great at another gear. So training your heart rate in all of the gears is vital for your just overall cardio health. Um, you also get a lot faster at lower heart rates when you properly train your heart rate. So you might start out running, you know, 10 minutes per mile in your zone two and end up at seven minutes, eight minutes per mile in your zone two, which is amazing. Because of that, you're going to utilize a lot more fat as fuel for longer. So the more you optimize your heart rate, the more you're able to turn over fat into usable energy, which is a slow process in our body and really hard to do. There are definite drawbacks to heart rate training though. So one of them is people are zone two zealots. Uh, they think heart rate training is only zone two training and that's not at all true. You need to train all of your zones, high intensity, low intensity, moderate intensity, 
slowing down super frustrating and not pushing yourself enough for speed. Okay, just finishing up that thought. Uh, if your goal is to go fast, you have to go fast. So yes, you need to train low and slow sometimes, but you still need to train fast and not pay attention to your heart rate as much if your goal is to go fast. So how do you actually figure out your heart rate zones? Utilize this formula. A lot of times your wearable is also going to estimate it for you, but this gives you an estimated zone two. So once you do this, then add 10, subtract 10, and that's generally your zone two range. Screenshot it right here. And last but not least, let's take some look at best practices. So the first two that come straight from Joel Jameson, I'll tag him below. If you guys are ever looking for more information on cardio training, he's an excellent resource. But if you're just getting into train cardio training or you're just a little bit more of a novice in general, a three, two, one split is excellent because you're hitting all of the zones, uh, but you're doing it in a safe way. If you're trying to take it to another level or you're a little bit more advanced, a two, two, two split is excellent. Uh, you wanna pay attention to your zones a lot during low and moderate intensity cardio training, but not as so much during high intensity cardio training, only on the recovery. Up next, our very own director of our corporate wellness program speaking at the ISSN conference, Eric, the jet setter Bastillo himself, traveling with the ISSN, giving lectures on all sorts of sports nutrition related topics. So just again, another reason why you, the viewer, may want to look into not only our corporate wellness offerings, but our academic partnerships as well. Gifted Academics and Gifted Wellness are two newest departments growing very rapidly. Stay tuned. We're going to see, you're going to see a lot of projects coming from our wellness department and our education department going into next year. And this guy right here, Mr. Bastillo himself, is the one that we have to thank for a lot of that. So grab yourself a cup of Cafe Bastillo. Listen to Eric Bastillo. Look at these people. They're getting fit. Can't beat it. Ah, uh, Motion Columbia. I don't know what Motion Columbia is, but I know that Eric was there. The ISSN was there spreading the good word. So go sign up for our certification. CISSN. Get yourself a sports nutrition certification. You want to know more about nutrition? That's why you're watching this podcast in the first place. So go check it out. All right. Gifted Academics Education. Bang, 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 bang. If you're not following the Gifted Academics page, what in the hell are you thinking? Go over there. We've got our first post up there. Actually, I think it's our third post. The first two were, I don't know what, I think it was like Fresno and ISSN partnership. Cool stuff. Now we got an outline of our services there. And what we're going to start doing over the course of the next couple of months is rolling out sample questions as the content over there. So go test your knowledge as a certified personal trainer, certified strength conditioning specialist, or sports nutritionist. See if you can get those questions right. If you do, and you comment, and you share it with your friends, I might send you something for free, like, like stickers. I got lots of stickers, so I'll send you those. And of course, our Gifted Academics Partnership. 
we partner with organizations, gyms, universities, whatever, to bring our certifications at a group rate to those who need it. So if you are watching this and you're a personal trainer at a gym or you're a gym owner and you think, wow, I could really increase my average revenue per month per member, my arm, if you don't know that, read a book. I got some books for you. Message me privately. I'll send you some good books. Um, but if you are a gym owner and you think, hey, I can increase my revenue per member, get my member members better results and attract more members. Remember, help the members and help yourself by making more money. Reach out. We would love to work with you directly on a group rate for our certification services, whether that's self-led or instructor-led. We've got the services for you. What else we got in here, Jake? What else you got for me? Just some more about gifted academics here, test prep, instructor-led, self-led, like we just talked about. And of course, the certifications that we offer. CPT, Certified Personal Trainer, Certified Strength Coach, and of course, CISSN. All right, let's... Jake is telling me to pimp some apparel. Jake, can I get the Pimp My Ride logo? But it says, pimp some apparel. Our fall, our fall collection is still live is still up i'm looking at it right now we don't have a ton of it left pre-orders went like pre-orders always do very well but we do still have some available of the chunky dumper the gifted athlete and of course the keep climbing team squat father release for fall now if you've already bought this apparel and you're saying let me get some more i need more gifted apparel don't worry we are doing something that we've never done in the history of Gifted, which is re-releasing a popular old design, not going to tell you which one it is, and then including another design as part of our Transformation Challenge. As always with the Transformation Challenge, that will be a TC-specific apparel line that you cannot get unless you are signed up for that challenge. More details coming soon on how to enroll. But go pick up some apparel. Black Friday is here, is upon us. Buy your family some apparel, nothing better than some Team Squat Father or just some gifted athlete or gifted HQ apparel. All right, let's get into a little bit from our coach, Anthony, Mr. Plaza himself, a throwback post. So obviously near the end of the year, people aren't competing as often. There's a little bit of a lull in that bodybuilding space. So it's important to remember how the year actually went. So Anthony did a little recap here of some previous success as he worked through all of his clients. So three of them right here, two overalls and a first place class win. What I will say is that if you are applying to work with a gifted coach, you want to get into bodybuilding contest prep shape. You need to be applying now. You need to be setting yourself up with a coach now. Do not wait until the new year. You want to use the rest of this year to make sure that you are fully in the swing. That way, when the new year actually hits, number one, you're signed up for the transformation challenge because you're going to be dieting anyway. And two, you don't lose any time on the front end of the year. If you want to compete through the year, or at least at one of the earlier shows, April, May timeframe, you really need to be starting that contest prep diet early, early into the new year. So get with a coach today so you can get all of that figured out so you're not wasting time on the front end of 2024. Anthony, obviously a great one to work with on the bodybuilding side. 
Jeremy DeSantis, also fantastic. Stephen Tran, Carrie Harris, Jason Holt. But a lot of really good bodybuilding coaches. If you do want to go down that route, whether you're an experienced competitor or it's your first time, those are the folks that would obviously suit you best. And then we've got a Stephen coach post as well. This one's terrific. This is a really good infographic that Stephen put together here for everyone. And it's all about what a coach can do for you and what they can't do. Setting up expectations between, between coach and client early on into the experience, you cannot sleep on how important that actually is. So what can a coach actually do? When you hire a coach, what can they do? They can write your program, specifically write a program that fits your lifestyle and your goals, guide you through your health and fitness journey, answer questions, teach you along the way. Every question is a learning opportunity. Provide a supportive community, not only with the coaches from Gifted, but also with current clients and existing clients throughout our entire network. Give you honest feedback, check in on you periodically. Coach Our coaches check in twice per week with their clients. Can't beat that. And then inspire you and hold you accountable. That's really what a coach can offer you right there. What a coach can't do for you and where people often get confused when they hire a coach, they say, I'm going to hire a coach to get me results. At the end of the day, you still have to get you results. The coach writes the plan, draws out the map. You still got to pull out your map and follow the trail. And if you veer off all the way that way, and then you're standing 50 miles that way, you're like, what the hell? Why didn't I get to my final destination? It's because you didn't follow the map that the coach drew up. So what a coach can't do. They can't grocery shop for you or do your meal prep. And if they are doing that for you, you're paying a pretty penny. You're not paying $250 a month. You're paying $2,500 a month. And if that's the plan you want to sign up for, holler at me. I'll meal prep for you. Coaches cannot do your training or cardio. They cannot walk your steps for you, your physical activity. They can't track your macros, hit your daily targets. They can't help you get a full night's rest every night. And they can't maintain day-to-day -day consistency on your behalf. Again, at the end of the day, execution falls on you. Steven does a really good job of outlining that here. So when you hire a coach for the first time, it's important to have realistic expectations for what a coach can actually offer you. And I think that Steven does a really good job with this post highlighting exactly that. All right, now we can get into some competition wrap-up. Majin Duke himself, James Owens, took to the stage his first national show working with Coach Jason Holt. Went over to the Natural Pro-Am hosted by Ben Weeder. Uh, him and Jason worked together last year. I do believe he got second or third in his class. Took a nice long offseason. Made some very large, very sizable improvements and improved his conditioning. So got larger, added muscle, and improved his conditioning. No one really does that. That's that's tough to come by. So that's a testament to, number one, his hard work, and number two, Jason's guidance there. So Coach Jason and James here really crushed it. You can see the improved conditioning here. Obliques, on point. Abs certainly didn't look like that the previous time he competed chest striations absolutely popping and then we can get into night before photo by the classic photo by the hotel door these photos these night before photos wow i just zoomed in way too much <laughs> these night before photos 
are never going to look quite as good as the stage shots. Number one, because of the lighting. And number two, because the night before shots are usually full of food, full of water for the day. And then over the night, your body really flushes out and everything kind of tightens up. So if you see someone the night before the show, you're like, whoa, you looked way different the next morning on stage. That's usually what's happening. It's more pronounced in enhanced bodybuilding because you can utilize drugs to assist with that process, that flushing of the water. But you can still expect it in the natural scene. And this is exactly what you're seeing from James here, from this hotel room photo to the stage shots where his waist looks considerably tighter, abs are significantly more out, delts are more capped. Everything just looks really dialed in and on point on stage. This is absolutely James's best showing by a large margin. Showed very large, very big, very impressive improvements from show to show. I think he ended up finishing. Uh, I'm just kidding. This is the third show. Uh, where do you finish? For the results, second call outs. Happy with that at a first national show. Official placings. I want to say that, let's see if we can kind of decipher it by this. So second call out here, one, two, three, four, eight in this, just outside of center. So that would put him in ninth or 10th. So it's looking like a ninth or a 10th place finish for James. First national show, third show ever. I think him and Jason are set to start up an off season again, move into an off season, get ready for their next competitive season together. Just keep knocking, baby. That's one of those things that you have to do in bodybuilding. Bodybuilding, especially on the natural side, is a war of attrition. It's all about who can do it for longer. It's not about intensity of effort over short durations. It's the sustaining of effort over 5, 10, 15 years that takes you from first-time competitor to world champion. Most of the time, when you attain that physique of world champion, then you can just maintain that. We see that kind of at these, you know, the Yorton Cup, at WNBF Worlds. We see that kind of thing where, you know, you've got like a 38 or a 39-year-old guy winning world champion bodybuilding, which you never see on the enhanced side. Um, and then that guy like wins it for three or four or five years in a row, as long as he sticks with it. So that's often what you see on the natural side, James being a young dude, uh, and early into his bodybuilding career, his best days are most certainly ahead of him. Wouldn't be surprised to see him climb into a first call out the next time he competes nationally. If he competes locally, he's going to fuck some people up. That's what's all right, that wraps up our client material for the week. Not as much on the competitive side. Like I said, near the end of the year, most people are more worried about Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year, all that good stuff than they are competing. So shout out to James for getting on stage last week and the competitors that we've had you know, the last couple weeks that are speeding up their momentum, finishing out the year. That's something that I, I have noticed this year a lot and in previous years as well, but most people that are within the gifted network seem to accelerate as they finish out the year. While most people are packing it in saying, I'm not going to track my macros. I'm not going to worry about food intake. I'm just going to drink and smoke and hang out with old friends and make memories and whatnot. Everyone that I have seen both from other coaches and specifically within my own team is like, 
how can I stay on track as much as possible while still taking advantage of those social situations and making those memories? So it's not this binary choice of like, I can either have fun or I can stay on plan. I think our clients are uniquely taught by the coaches that we have because all of our coaches are so skilled on the actual implementation of the plan and the biopsychosocial side of it. Our clients are uniquely able to manage those social situations and also stay on track towards their goals. So, I, I mean, I have to shout out to our coaches, to our clients there. I, I, I'm biased, proximity biased. Sure, I can accept that. I really just don't think anyone does it quite like we do. Shout out to you. Chances are, if you're a viewer, you're a gifted client. And if you're not, what the shit are you doing? Go fill out an application. Find a coach that fits your needs and get started now. Now. But not until the podcast is over. All right, Jake. I did all of that and I'm at the 34-minute mark, which means your boy's about to go crazy on these Reddit questions. All right, let's get into them. I have done some of these. I need to sort these into ones that I've done before. Uh, all right. Uh, 4681 is the question. It is from Jacob2041. It says, I am 53 years old. Is it possible for me to gain muscles and gain strength? Weird. Not weird in the question. The question is a good question. It's weird because I don't think that there are any 53-year-olds named Jacob. What do you call yourself? <laughs> what do you call yourself at 53 when your name is Jacob? I feel like you can't be like, oh, my name is Jacob. Jake? But I feel like Jake is, Jake's like a young man's name. Jake, what are you going to call yourself when, what are you going to call yourself when you get to 53 years old? I think you got to go like Jacob. That's a good Oh yeah, let's actually answer the question here. Jacob wants to know, 53 years old, master's athlete here. Is it possible for him to gain muscle and strength? Most certainly. So I think a lot of older men are sold a bill that says, you know, they're sold on the idea that when you reach a certain age, because of that drop off in testosterone, your ability to gain strength and gain muscle completely disappears. And it's just a complete misunderstanding of what actually happens. So, natural men, unenhanced, no TRT dose, which we'll talk about that in a second. Testosterone, after the age of 30, 30-ish, some people younger, some people later, starts to drop off. With a lower amount of testosterone, when you exit the natural physiological range. So, that's another, that's another point to make here very quickly. If I'm 30 and my testosterone is 800, so normal range 400 to 900, and I'm at 800, and then my 35th birthday hits, and I'm down to 700. So I'm still within the normal physiological range. My ability to build muscle and gain strength is just as good as it was when I was at 800. Within that normal physiological range, we don't notice any differences in muscle building capacity. Things start to exit the normal rules of physiology when you go above or when you go below that normal existing range. So let's say I'm a 30, 30 year old and on my 35th birthday, my testosterone drops from 500 to 200. Now I'm outside of the physiological range. 
this isn't an absence of testosterone. This isn't a complete disappearing of all of my testosterone. I've still got it. It's still 3x, 4x, what you would be at true, like true, true hypogonadal levels. So your ability to build muscle and gain strength is still there. It's still possible, very possible, and also very likely, especially if you're coming from sedentary lifestyle. If you're coming from no training at all, shit what your testosterone levels are or what your age is, you're going to build muscle and you're going to get stronger. You're going to get those noob gains no matter what. I don't care if you're 53, 63, 83 years old, you're still going to build muscle and gain strength, especially if your nutrition is on point. Jacob, what you're worried about here is a decrease in your ability to gain strength, not a disappearing of the ability, but a decrease in the magnitude of effect. I train for four months. It's a squat cycle. I gain 5% strength on my squat as opposed to 10% for someone whose testosterone exists in that natural physiological range. Now, Jacob, if that is the case, go and get blood work from your primary care physician. See what your testosterone is at. If it's in the normal range, don't do anything. Don't do anything. Just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. You're fine. Your ability to gain muscle and strength is as good as it'll ever be for a 53 year old. But if you're below that range, you're at 80, 100, 120 nanograms per deciliter, well under the range, true hypogonadal levels, get yourself some testosterone replacement therapy. There is this negative stigma around TRT as if it is taking PEDs and it's not. The same stigma doesn't exist around thyroid medication and in individuals who are hypothyroid because if I'm hypothyroid, I am not producing enough of a hormone. If I take that hormone exogenously, I put myself back in the normal range. I don't have superpowers or super abilities because I'm not above the range. Being below the range put me in poor health. Being above the range for too long would put me in poor health. The same thing exists on the side of testosterone. You are below the range. Below the range, poor health exists. TRT to put you back in range, that's where good health exists. If you want to take a bunch of steroids and go well above the range, that's completely fine. That's your prerogative, but negative health outcomes exist up there as well. So if you truly are hypogonadal and you are in need of TRT, drop the stigma. It's not PEDs. It's putting you back in the natural range. Let it ride. Jacob, good luck. Up next, we've got, just got back from, all right, Vincent. 365. He just got back from vacation. Vincent, hope you had a good vacation. But I also missed one of my... Oh my God. I already know where this question's going. Uh, I also missed one of my workouts. One. Oh, wow. Naughty, naughty. What should I do when I miss a workout? Thought process was either to shift my workouts a day, Tuesday to Wednesday and Friday to Saturday instead of... Oh, Tuesday through Wednesday and Friday through Saturday instead of Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, or just go tonight and do another workout tomorrow morning. I looked, I looked up info on it and is learned. He has done his research. I looked up info on it. All I found was a CrossFit post on whether or not it was okay to work out <laughs> at night. And then again in the morning, try to find more info, but there aren't any that are detailed enough to answer my question. Okay. So, one, it's going to depend a lot on what the actual workout is that you're trying to make up. If it's like 
I need to go to the gym and do biceps and triceps. I need to do eight sets of biceps and eight sets of triceps. Do it whenever. Double up. Train twice in a day. It doesn't matter. The fatigue cost of training biceps and triceps is so low, there's not going to be any overlapping fatigue if you train twice in a day or if you add a fifth session to the week to make up for that session that you week that you missed and then return to four sessions a week. There's no issue there. If you missed like a, I don't know, like a mock meat powerlifting session where you needed to work up to 98% of your all-time best over 15 sets on squat, bench, and deadlift, that's a doozy that you missed. Now we need to start talking about how are we going to fit that in? And that's a priority system. How big of a priority is the workout that you missed? Where does it fit in the progression of whatever you're doing right now? Because if it is a performance-based progression where you need to hit that session to get data to inform whatever the following session is, then you should prioritize getting that in and not worry so much about whatever sessions come after that. You can build in extra rest after, after those sessions, especially if it's a really big one. So if it's a performance-based workout where you need those metrics to move forward with what your percentages, your loads, your you know, your volume, your progression is going to be next week, then that should be, your priority should be making up that session and you should go into that session under the same conditions that you have in previous weeks. Meaning that if in previous weeks prior to vacation, you were taking an off day prior to that mock meet, you should do that same thing. You should take an off day, especially after the stress that comes with travel and then hit that mock meet. If not, if it's a session that doesn't matter at all, just don't even do it. Just skip it. Oh, I missed a back and shoulder workout. Where does it fit in the progression? I don't follow a progression. What do you, do you need that session to inform what you're going to lift next week? Like, no, I switch my workouts every week. It's like, well, what the fuck are we even talking about? What are we even talking about here? Just skip it and move on. It doesn't matter. For most of my clients who miss a workout because of vacation, I just tell them to pick up where they left off. Start with that session, given that it's not some zero RIR or one RIR, very challenging workout. Just pick up with that session and then move through in your normal progression the rest of the days and we'll continue to fill out whatever that progression is for the following week when the time is right. Again, I think we've talked about this before on a previous episode where there's just like this overcomplication of issues like this. I went on vacation. I missed a workout. I'm back. Holy shit. What do I do? I'm lost. Someone help me, please. I'm crying. The best thing to do in this situation is to not worry about it at all, even a little bit for a second. Make up the session if you want. Number one, talk to your coach. Talk to your coach. Ask your coach what you should do. That's why you hire a coach in the first place. So that you're not up late at night looking up on CrossFit.com's blog if it's okay to work out at night and then again in the morning. Right? That's hours of your life. Hire a coach instead. Let them make the decision so that you don't ever have to worry about it. Vince. But really... The takeaway here is let's not obsess about these things. Let's not spend hours on end researching. Best protocol here is to make up the session, rest as you normally would between workouts, and work through the following workouts in whatever progression style you are following.
Easy as that. Dang it, Jake. I said I was going to do a bunch of Reddit questions, but now we're at the 45-minute mark, and I must cut myself off so that we can save some for next time. Guys, if you are watching this, you made it this far, I want to say happy Thanksgiving to all who celebrate. I hope it's a fantastic day with friends, family, tasty treats, good eats, all of that. We at Gifted are thankful for you, the viewer, the community, everything that you do, whether you are a client or not. We love you and we are very thankful for everything that you've done for us over the past four years and what is to come. We hope you like the podcast. We hope you like how season two is coming along. If there's any changes, any comments, concerns, questions that you would like to see answered, feel free to drop those in the comment section below. Have a full-blown conversation with yourself in the comments. Maybe you've got a question for me. I suggest you write it out one word at a time. So it's 35 comments total. And when you're done with that, because it was so much fun, just click the notification bell and the like button because clicking things is fun. Have a good holiday. We will see you next week on episode six. In the meantime, in between times, and as always, stay gifted, my friends.